All right, well, we are recapping this series, How People Change. And so what we've done is taken four weeks to talk about how big change often happens through small steps. And if you've been tracking with us, or even if you missed a couple Sundays and you went online and listened or iTunes, hopefully kind of what you've seen is this is really a series on spiritual disciplines. In church history, that's the phrase that we would use. And really spiritual disciplines are those small steps that the Holy Spirit of God uses to produce big change in our lives. And so week one, we talked about one of those small steps, which is regular participation in a covenant community. We explained what that means, covenant, and essentially it really is just a a church, a a body of believers who love Jesus and are connected to him vertically, but also love one another and are connected to each other horizontally, and and how important that is to be changed and transformed in the image of Christ. And then week two, we talked about scripture and silence and solitude, and we talked about how the same God that designed the world designed his word. And if you're going to walk in step with the world and how it's designed to function and if that's going to go well for you and you're going to experience joy, not without trial, but joy even with trial, if that's going to happen, it happens because you listen to the revealed word of God that we have in Scripture. And so I've been so encouraged by some of you over the last few weeks sending me the Bible reading plan you just started and you've never done that before. And you're like, hey, I'm going to read the Bible in a year to see what happens. And you sent me pictures of like, hey, I'm out by this creek. You found one in Phoenix, and, and there's water here if you're, if you're new to Phoenix. And you're like, I'm getting some time alone with God, and I'm making an effort to, to schedule this into my week because that's how people change. That was week two. And then week three, we talked about last week, repentance, really the heart of change, the heart of all transformation that that God has given us this act of repentance to, to turn away from sin and not just turn to an ambiguous place, but turn directly to God and replace all the time, talent, and treasure we're giving our sin and replace that with a worthy one who can accept that time, talent, and treasure, and that's God himself. So we talked about this, this practice of repentance, that all of life is repentance, and this is how people change. And so today... We're closing it out with this act of service, this spiritual discipline of serving and how God not only changes others because he does that, but how God more often than not changes you through serving. And I think as we talk about serving and maybe even it welled up within you as you heard these men and women speak, some guilt and uh, some feelings of like, I know I should serve Like, I'm in church. Like, I know it's a good thing to serve. Even if you're here and you're not a Christian yet, you're like, that's just a good thing. Like, social justice and and helping other people out. Like, it's a good thing. But yet, if we look at our lives, we think, but I don't do it. (laughs) Or when I do it, man, it's a real battle. I know even for me in my home, it's a a battle to serve. Like when I serve, because there are times when I serve, even when I do that, I want recognition. Because there's a battle waging war within my heart. I'm like, something about serving goes against my very nature. And so when I do the dishes at home and my wife comes in the door and she doesn't say anything, something's missing in my life. It's like, I just put like a tag on the dishwasher, like clean, <laughs> it was dirty. Have you know, like, do you, would you like me to get one of these shiny cups for you? You know, like, 
We do that, right? In our homes, with the people we're called to love and serve. And there's a, there's a battle, even if you do serve, there's a battle to serve your kids. There's a battle to serve your roommates when they don't do their part. And you're like, should I keep serving them? They seem like they're taking advantage of me, right? There's a battle of, of serving. That's in our home. It's outside of our home, in the church. Maybe right now, some of you are wrestling with, I've been coming here for a while. I've been sitting, I've been listening, I've been getting fed, and all those are good things, but I don't even know what serving looks like here. Is that, is that bad? I don't. And you feel this sort of angst of like, what does serving look like and why is there such a battle for us? And so I want to look at that in our time together today. I want to look at why is this difficult? That's where we're going to start. Why is it difficult to serve? What's working against us? Because there are some things, all right? So Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be. Grab a Bible, pull it up on your phone, get God's word in front of you. We will have it on the screen, but we'd love for you to practice reading scripture in church. It's a great time to start that practice. So Luke 22, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels, narratives about the story and life of Jesus. We are in Luke chapter 22, and we'll start in verse 24. It says this, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now, some context to this scene. This is Jesus and his disciples, and they're on a trek somewhere. And they're on a trek towards Jerusalem. And, and they're on a trek not to a, a big party or Jesus reigning on the throne. They're on a trek towards Jesus being betrayed, arrested, and killed on a cross. If you continue to read in, in the book of Luke, that's what you're going to see in just a few passages later Bad things are coming. Suffering is coming. And as they're on this trek, Jesus has been trying to explain to his disciples that that is coming. Like at different points throughout the different gospels, Luke as well, there's different times where in different ways Jesus explains, hey, I am the Christ. I am the chosen one, the anointed one, the long-awaited king. I'm the son of God. Yet, I'm also a suffering servant. Yet, I'm also going to die and rise again. He, he's told them that in different ways. He's dropped hints about it. He's explained it. Uh, just briefly, right before this, he explained it through the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, what we celebrate when we take communion, that, that he took some bread and he took some wine and he talked about the bread is his body that's broken for them and they should eat it. And then he took the wine and he said, hey, this is like my blood that's going to be spilled out for you and you should, you should drink it. And he's explaining to them, hey, I am a king, but it's going to look a little bit different than you thought. Right? Now, I would think at this time, specifically about the Lord's Supper illustration, specifically when Jesus is like, hey, you're going to drink my blood. You're going to eat my body. I would think, I don't know about you, but I would think my response to that would be like, Jesus, tell me more. How's that going to work? I mean, you're going to suffer, and you're going to die. Your body's going to be broken. Your blood's going to be spilled out, and yet there's supposed to be a kingdom that you've talked about. How does that mesh together? I mean, Jesus, what do you mean we eat your body? Like, I don't want to do that. Oh, what do you mean? 
can we drink your blood? Like, we want to protect you. We don't want you to be killed. We would never do that. I would think there would be some deep reflection from the disciples in this moment. But there's not. There's selfish craziness, right? Now, before we bash on the disciples, which we really are good at doing, right? As you, as you think about this context, remember what they've been experiencing. They've been experiencing massive crowds, incredible miracles, life-changing teaching, talks about the kingdom of God, and that it's at hand, and that it's coming soon. And they've seen all of this, and they've seen all these people. And so, yeah, Jesus talked about his body being broken, and hey, drink my blood. Okay, Jesus, maybe I don't know if you didn't get enough sleep last night or what. But let's get back to the important stuff. Who's going to be the greatest? What they're doing is the equivalent of taking selfies and polishing up their LinkedIn profile as Jesus is on his way to die on the cross, right? That's what's happening here. Now, again, before we bash the disciples, they're not different than we are, right? Their self-absorption of wondering who's going to be the greatest after Jesus talks about suffering and being a servant and dying on a cross, that's not all that different from us today, right? We suffer from their disease of self-absorption. We see it today. I read this week that on average, people spend 60% of conversations talking about themselves. Then on social media, this is going to shock you, but that percentage rises from 60% to 80%, talking about ourselves. Jim Gaffigan, great theologian of our day, he said this, and I think it describes it really well. He said, I want to look at myself. While I work on myself, I should do a recording so I can listen to myself. While I look at myself, while I work on myself, as I leaf through myself magazine, read how myself can improve myself. Maybe I'll go to my Facebook page and look at photos of myself and read what myself has written about myself. Now, Jim Gaffigan, I don't know if he's a Christian, but he exegeted our culture really well, right? I mean, that's a microcosm of our entire world, and it goes increasingly that way with social media, with technology, with, hey, you don't have to even go to church. You can just watch it online. Hey, you don't have to be in a relationship and have an actual conversation. You can just text somebody. You can just snap them. Marco Polo. You don't even have to be in the same room, right? And all of those things, listen, they're not bad things, but somehow they've replaced others. And we've replaced others with me, right? And this is dangerous. It's not just a guilt trip for you. It's not just, oh, man, yeah, I focus too much on myself. I should probably figure that out. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, teenagers these days, I mean, they don't even look up from their phones to have a conversation. I mean, those things are true, but it's more than that. This is dangerous. That I saw so much research this week on isolation and depression and anxiety and how that's all up and how relationships and social cues and, and the ability to conversate, even sex, 
marriage, it's on the decline because we're self-absorbed. Because there's something in us, as we talk about serving others, there's something in us that wars against that. It did that for the disciples. That's why they're having this dispute. And it does that for us. So that's the first thing that's working against us is we are called to serve and it's supposed to be this great thing that we're supposed to be involved with. There's a problem. It's a problem of self. The second problem that we have working against us and serving is the pattern of society. He gets to that in verse 25. Look at the verse. And he said to them, the, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors. What I love about Jesus is he doesn't engage, he doesn't respond to their dispute, to their debate. He just redirects it. Like they're like, who's greatest? Other gospels will tell us more about this. They're like, who's going to sit at your right? Who's going to sit at your left? How's all that going to work? Which throne do we get? Right? And Jesus doesn't respond directly to that conversation. He just redirects it. And he talks about, hey, the kings of the Gentiles, they, they lord over people. They consider themselves great, and they lord it over people. They even call themselves benefactors. What does that mean? Well, they get all the credit. If you're a leader, and you're over people, and you have authority over people, anything good, it's because of you. It's all about you. So Jesus redirects and says, hey, you don't want that. The greatness that's in your head right now, the greatness that's welling up in your heart, you don't want to go there because you know how that ends up. They would have thought about real live examples of what this looked like. Right? He says, Gentile kings. Uh, what that means is just a non-Jew. So really anybody else, a Greek any sort of king that's lording over, and they would have had examples of that, even in their history. You think about Alexander the Great, who many of you would know of, 331 BC, a, a king, in the, a leader in the Greek empire. He, he's taking over nations, and he was known for, for war. And they might have, might have thought about that guy. Maybe another guy named Antiochus, who in 215 BC was a leader and he outlawed the Sabbath. He banned worship in the temple. And not only did he ban worship in the temple, he replaced it with Zeus and he set up an altar to an idol. And maybe they would have thought in their, in their past and their history in this day, like, yeah, Jesus, you're right. Like I've seen some other leaders lord over people. And Jesus is gonna point out that this isn't helpful. This isn't affecting flourishing for mankind. Like, you don't want to go there. I know we don't just see that in those examples way back in ancient history. We see those examples in our world. There's sites we can go see. I know my wife and I, we went to India early on in our marriage. My, my wife is Indian, and so we went to India to a couple weddings and, and to tour around, and we went to the Taj Mahal. And I don't know if any of you have been to the Taj Mahal. You've probably at least seen pictures. And it's one of the seven wonders of the world. It's an incredible structure. And it's all made of marble. And if you've never been there, it's not just the picture that you see of that big castle that's made of marble. It's the whole walkway leading up to the Taj Mahal. It's all made of marble. The little water fountains are made of marble. It's a massive 
beautiful, incredible structure like I've never seen. It takes your breath away. Now, as we're walking through that in amazement, you have to walk back out. Right? To get there, you have, to, you have to go through this little town. And it's not so amazing. And I don't think there's one ounce of marble in that town around the Taj Mahal. Why? Because the guy who built that lorded over people. The story goes, at least tradition goes, that after everybody built this for him and his wife, he sliced off their hands so they could never build such an amazing structure again. And you see, I don't know if you've been to India at all, but you see a disparity between the palace and poverty. And you see it most vividly in the Taj Mahal. And so we see leadership that lords over, leadership that is self-centered, That pattern of society, it doesn't affect human flourishing. It doesn't help others thrive. It doesn't benefit humanity. And so Jesus, rather than responding to their debate, he redirects their debate to show them the tragedy of self-absorbed leaders and people. And he says, not in my kingdom. We're not going to work like that. I'm setting up a different kind of kingdom. And in order to set that up, and in order to break such a pattern, Jesus needed to bring a new paradigm. And so we got the problem of self. We have the pattern of society. Jesus brings in the paradigm of the son. And he breaks up this pattern. Things are going to be different with Jesus and all who follow him. Look at verse 26. Verse 26, he continues, he he contrasts, you see but, you see rather, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For whoever is greater, one who reclines at a table or one who serves, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Now, Jesus brings this contrast. Hey, it's not going to be like this. It's not going to be self-serving. There's something else in play here. And he says, let the greatest among you become the youngest. Let the leader be the one who serves. Now, in that culture, the youngest was the least likely to rule anybody. They didn't have any uh, priority to a throne or to land. The youngest was the least likely to rule. And so Jesus says, hey, let the youngest be the greatest. Because in our social system, it doesn't work like that. He says, hey, let the leader, the one who typically rules over people, let him serve. You see what Jesus is doing? He's taking a social structure of leadership, and he's doing this. He's flipping it completely on its head. He's changing everything about their current structure. But notice Jesus doesn't rebuke greatness. He's just redefining it. At no point does he say, how dare you think about what it means to be great? He just says, hey, greatness is going to have a different definition. It's going to have a different picture. And I want you to walk in that. I know for me, I grew up uh, playing a game called Spades, a card game. Uh, My parents played it. We played it all the time. And I love that game. I think it should come back more often. I don't see many people playing Spades. But in Spades, if you've ever played that card game... If you're really down in points, you can try something, and it's called going low. Any spade players in the room? 
just so we can get together, meet up group, all right? Okay, I'll call you later. Yeah. Uh, but you have, a, you have a partner, and if you're really down, you kind of come together and you're like, do you think you can go low? Maybe. I don't know. Let me look at my deck. And, and the whole idea is that you wouldn't get any cards. You wouldn't get any books to come back to you. You wouldn't get any points. You would try to lose the hand. And the game that you've been playing where you're trying to mount up all the cards that you have and win all the hands, that's the whole agenda, the purpose of the game, the thing you've been doing the whole time, flips. And you try to rewire your brain, I'm not going to try to win any hand. I don't want any cards. What happens? The game gets flipped on its head. That's what Jesus is doing. He's changing the game. He's saying, I don't care how long it's been and how many kings have come before you and they've lorded over you and they've been great in the world's eyes and they've served themselves. The game is changing. There's a new kingdom. We're flipping it on its head. And that's what Jesus does. And so in our culture, that's what Jesus is doing with you. As you're called to serve, it's not just plug in a coffee pot. It's not just come home and do the dishes so your spouse doesn't have to. What you are a part of, if you will contribute and serve in the kingdom of God, is you are a part of redefining greatness. You are a continuation of the movement Jesus started and what he's trying to, to beat in the heads of the disciples that, hey, I'm a new king, and things are changing, and we're not going to lord over people. We're not going to oppress people. We are going to set them free, and that's what you're a part of as you follow Jesus as well. That if you want to be great, you serve. If you want to go up, you go low. You humble yourself. You consider others. You walk into a room and instead of thinking about what everyone's thinking about you, you think, how can I impact them? Which, by the way, side note, as you walk into a room like we all do and we think about what everybody's thinking about us, nobody's thinking about you. Who are they thinking about? Themselves. And so we all walk into these rooms and we're all thinking about what's he thinking about me and what's she thinking about me and we're all at the same time thinking about ourselves. <laughs> it's pointless, Right? And Jesus brings a better way. We see it in Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh, in yourself. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. This is bizarro world. Everything's backwards. Or you humble yourself, that's greatness. You go low, that's the leader. Listen, I hope you've seen in Phoenix Bible Church, it's at the very least our heart, our aim, and our prayer. The people that were just on this stage, myself, anybody who leads in this church who has a lanyard on, a title, or a position, they are in that place because that's not what they're after, Right? The people who lead in the kingdom of God, who lead in the, the local church, they're the ones who go low. They're the ones who serve. And so if you've been in churches where you feel like, man, it just seems like there's manipulation and there's domineering leadership and there's just control and everybody just wants to 
put their hand on my life and push me in certain directions. That is not biblical leadership. That's not Jesus-centered leadership. This is the kingdom he is setting up. This is how leadership works in his kingdom. It's a new game. It doesn't look like the world. It doesn't look like history. Now, verse 27, you might think that Jesus would say, hey, let me just settle this right now. None of you are the greatest because I am. I'm the son of God. You see this whole universe? I did that. By the word of my power, I sustain it with my very hands. He could have said that, but he doesn't. He says, hey, I'm in this with you. I serve as well. He addresses, it's a little bit confusing, he addresses the social norm once again. He says, hey, who's greater, one who sits and reclines at a table or one who serves? He says, one who sits at a table and reclining. Because, again, that's what they're thinking. That is the social norm. But he says, I among you, I serve. The the king of the universe, the son of God, I mean, they all think it's reclining at a table. But I'm the one who created this whole thing, and I serve. If anybody had priority and authority to rule over people's lives, to show up on the earth and put on flesh and be commanding people what to do, was Jesus, and he's saying, even I serve. Another gospel says, I have not come to be served, but to serve, to give my life as a ransom for many. That's what marked Jesus' life. That's what marks Christianity. Tim Keller, an author and pastor, said this. I think it encompasses it well. He said, though Jesus was rich, he became poor. Though he was a king, he served. Though he was the greatest, he made himself the servant of all, even lower. He triumphed over sin, not by taking up power, but by serving sacrificially. He won through losing everything. The gospel, listen to this, the gospel then creates a new kind of servant community, the people who live out an entirely alternate way of being human. That's what Jesus is doing. He's flipping it on its head. Now, we started this year, if you were with us, before this How People Change series with a a one-off sermon on my prayer for you. If you remember that, we we talked about my prayer for you is transformation, is is life change. That's why we're doing this series. That's when we're about to look at the gospel of Mark and see more of how, how did Jesus live? How do we become more like Jesus? My prayer for you, your marriage, your friends, your kids, is that you would be transformed more and more in 2019 in the image of Christ, that you would do less achieving, more abiding in the name and fame of Jesus Christ, and you'd become more like him. And I said, that's, that's my prayer for you. Now, When we talk about transforming, we talk about maturity in Christ and changing and growing, what does that look like? What's the criteria when when we say, hey, somebody else, man, that guy's super mature. I mean, you can just tell he's a mature follower of Jesus. Like, what's the, the standard for that? It's a simple answer. It's Jesus. When we talk about maturity in Christ, that's a word we turn phrase we throw around a lot and growing and being transformed, it's someone who looks more and more 
like Jesus. So we have to ask, what defined Jesus' life? Well, Jesus, why did you come? Well, I came to, not to be served, but to serve many, to give my life for that. That his whole life is marked by serving. And so what does that mean? That maturity in Christ is when you serve. That the very nature of what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, is that you follow his model of serving. And so listen, this isn't just a message about why don't we serve, why we should serve, ways to serve, results of serving. This is a message about Jesus. It's a message to to evaluate, you should be doing this now, to evaluate, do I see Jesus as he is, as the suffering servant king? Do I follow Jesus? That's what this message is about. It's not about like, I know I should probably serve and it's probably a good thing to do and maybe there's some needs around the house and needs around the church and and sure there's needs in my city and like I should probably get to work on that. It's, It's more than that. That when you serve, you are participating in the maturity, the transformation that God has called you to. You are being a Christian, a follower of the one who served you. That's the very nature and essence of what it means to call yourself a Christian. So you should be wrestling with now, am I doing that? Do I, do I really know who Jesus is? Do you get it? Do you buy into his version of greatness? Are you still skeptical? Are you still thinking, I'll just come to church and put some things on my religious LinkedIn profile and just add them, some things to that list and, and throw some Jesus on it, sprinkle it on there, and maybe it'll make me a little bit better person. Jesus is starting a new kingdom that you're involved. He's flipping everything on its head, and he's involving you in it so you can become mature. It's the very nature and essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is part of the reason why we do give you opportunities to serve. It's not just because there's jobs that need to be done, because there are. Right? All of what's even happening right now, there's at least... Two people in the booth up there, don't look back, you'll be blinded by the light. There was a lot of people here this morning, 7.30, 8 a.m., that are making what's happening right now happen so that you can hear what I'm saying, so it's not distorted, so we do have lights, so there's not trash on the floor. Like, it's, it's an important thing that they do, but it's not just to fill a job. There's needs in our city. There's needs in this community that we want to be a part of, a kingdom outpost that that is known for bringing healing to needs that are out there. And that's important, and there are needs. But serving isn't just about filling a job or filling a need. Serving is an opportunity for you to mature in your faith. It's the way God set it up. See, God could have set up things a lot differently. He could have rained down all the food we needed for this baby food donation drive, just rained it down, Sarah. He could just do that, but he doesn't. Why? Because he wants to put you at Walmart, Costco, thinking about somebody other than you, picking up some baby food to go to this food bank. Will that help them? Will that fill a need? Will that do a job? Yeah, yeah, it will. It will benefit others. But it will change you. It will transform you. 
You will be following Jesus when you do that. You will be coming more like him when you do that. And so serving is the way God has set this thing up. It's how maturity and transformation and change happens, not just in other people, but in you. Do you get that? Do you buy in yet? Do you still see serving as just something you should be guilted into doing? And it's like, Tim, I need to go to the gym too, but I don't do that either. <laughs> I mean, Tim, I, I know I need to serve, but it's this battle. And I, yeah, my wife come home. You should probably say, are you still living in that zone and bought into the world's version of greatness? Or are you beginning to buy in to the Christian following Christ way of greatness? That's what this is about. We started this series, How People Change. Man, if you get this, you will, you will change. And so will other people around you. I've seen it. Uh, yesterday, we went to a, a funeral. My wife and I have been to too many of those recently. But um, this was an older pastor in our city named Tom Schrader. And when I first came to Phoenix, uh, Tom was uh, kind of a, a legend in Phoenix. He is. I mean, there was a couple thousand people at Scottsdale Bible Church for his funeral. And when I first came to Phoenix, I met with a few other guys and met with him and just as younger pastors in the valley, we just said, hey, Tom, how do you do leadership? How do you do preaching? And how do you do serving? And how do you shepherd people? What does that look like? And Tom was gracious enough to me not to just leave it with that uh, group meeting, but he said, hey, I want to hear more of your story. Let's get breakfast. And one of my favorite memories of Tom is we get breakfast at the country club in Arcadia, and he orders a cheeseburger. And it was then that I knew we had a special connection <laughs> with one another. And this was a guy I could get behind. But we didn't just have the cheeseburger. We began to talk about how we came to Phoenix and, and how it was hard. And we're starting this new church where our church is four years old now. You're stepping into that right now. And, and at that time, it was just like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know uh, how all this is going to pan out. And Tom would just walk through things he had learned, wisdom he had, mistakes he had made, and it was so helpful. He came to preach at our church once. It was an amazing time. So thankful for Tom Schrader. And as my wife and I were at this funeral yesterday, what you saw was a couple thousand people who had similar stories to mine. And you heard story after story just like mine. And I, I thought I was the only one. I, I thought he just took me to breakfast. But no, every person that got up there was just like, man, Tom Schrader, this incredible, eloquent Bible teacher, changing lives. He started, started Bible studies and businesses, and hundreds of people, non-Christians, would show up. I used to have a neighbor who just lived next to me, and he was like, hey, have you heard of Tom Schrader? I'm like, yeah, I just had breakfast with him. Like, how do you know him? He's like, I met Jesus because of Tom. And Tom lives in Gilbert. I live in central Phoenix. And you just started to see this picture of leader is someone who serves. Uh, someone who's great. I mean, there's people talking about how great Tom Schrader was. But it was all, you know, even in my office and all these other people. And he would just go from office to office and just ask people, hey, how are you doing? And he would just sit and talk with them. That every time he preached, even in that, he was serving people that they would always feel like, he's talking to me. He's relating to me. And you saw this picture of a packed out, gigantic church celebrating greatness. 
Not worldly greatness, not self-absorbed greatness, but greatness in the kingdom of God that doesn't die with Tom Schrader, but lives on through countless people who are, who are saying, Jesus changed my life. Like I met the ultimate suffering servant because of Tom Schrader modeling that for me. So how people change, how others change, how you change, it happens that way. You've seen it. I've seen it. Will you buy into it? Will you step into it? Grab a card today, fill it out, begin your process of serving so you can make an impact like that for others, but also yourself. Let me pray. God, I want to thank you for people like Tom who reflect Jesus. People like the men and women who stood up on the stage who reflect Jesus, who are investing in your kingdom. God, we, we get to be a part of this. It's amazing that despite our self-absorption, despite the pattern of society, that you still give us a new paradigm. And it's one where we get to serve you and be a part of the God of the universe, reconciling all of mankind to himself. And so, God, I pray for these men and women. I pray if they, if they just see serving like they see going to the gym, if they see it as just a, something they're supposed to do, God, you would broaden their horizons and see that true greatness is found in serving. God, that you have created a new kingdom 2,000 years ago, but one that we still get to be a part of today. And may we be a part of it. Those who call ourselves followers of Jesus, those who are pursuing, mature, pursuing maturity in Jesus, change, transformation, that this is the very essence of what it looks like. Help us to walk in that. Help us to confess our self-absorption. That's, that's why we're here is to, to deal with this and, and to see our lives change. God, I pray you'd be gracious and, and, and merciful to us and loving to us as, as we participate in this, this change that you've so graciously called us to. Well, I thank you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.